Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by ND.ca. Since its launch in 2015, ND has become the leading online sleep brand in Canada. And because they are a Canadian company with Canadian materials and no overseas shipping and tariffs, they can offer you their mattresses at an uncommonly low price for an uncommonly great mattress. Go to ND.ca slash Canada Land. Use the promo code Canada Land for 50 bucks off. And this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a unique website. Showcase your work, blog, publish content, sell products, services of all kinds. It just takes a few clicks. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CanadaLand. You'll get 10% off. The federal government has finally announced their plans to bail out the news business. And I am, I am less outraged than I thought I'd be. Maybe I'm not even outraged at all. It's confusing for me, these feelings of not being so outraged. But in deciding to give $10 million a year in government subsidy to the news industry, instead of the proposed $350 million a year, I guess I am, you know, like about 3% as outraged as I was prepared to be. I mean, if this news subsidy plan makes post-media CEO Paul Godfrey this mad, how bad could it be? There's not a penny in this. Can we salvage this or do you need something new altogether? Well, what do you mean salvage this? I mean, I do, you, do you reform what this proposal is? Well, they're not interested in reforming this proposal. Look, they've been thinking about this for over two years. Where are those recommendations now? On a shelf gathering dust. Local newspapers are failing everywhere. It's better to give them the ones that are still surviving rather than to try and get them to start up because that's not going to succeed. It'll be wasted money, unfair to the industry. Wasted our time, wasted our money, and didn't come through. Oh, did you hear that big old crybaby? He feels insulted. The government wasted his time. He should be getting the money and not the startups. Oh, that is just, 
delicioso. I've been playing that video on a loop. But you know what? Okay, enough about me. My feelings on this topic are well documented. You know what I think about a government news bailout. But in case you missed them, my position is that I think the journalists cannot credibly cover people who pay them money. I also think that bailing out legacy news probably means hobbling, preventing, maybe even killing new digital news companies. One of which is Canada Land. So, you know, full disclosure, I have an interest in this. Those are my thoughts. You've heard them before. What do other small news organizations think? The $10 million a year that will be handed out by government. These other news startups, they could get that. Some of it. Well, we don't actually know exactly what the criteria is for getting it, who will be doling it out, but it is earmarked for local, trusted journalism in underserved communities. Each of those words is important. Which news orgs will the government deem to be trusted? I mean, is that like a code word for established legacy newspapers? Which communities will they classify as underserved? Because like you could make the case that every community in Canada has less journalism now than it has had in the prior 50 to 100 years. Also, what news is local? I mean, is that strictly going to be defined by like coverage of town council or does coverage of social issues or environmental reporting qualify? The devil is in the details and there is not a lot of detail. No details provided about new money for indigenous news, which was part of the proposal. No details about revisiting the role of the CBC, reforming the CBC's mandate to position them as a collaborator instead of a competitor. And that was something that was supposed to be on the table. Some details have been provided about nonprofit news. The government says that they will be looking at finally making it possible for news orgs to get charitable status so that people can choose to support journalism and get a tax break, which, you know, for some bizarre reason is currently prohibited. So I'm not sure what to make of all this but I want to know what others are making of it. So today I will ask a bunch of entrepreneurs who are running their own small digital news organizations what they think. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Andrew Carmichael, Daniel Johnson, Heather Till, Zarani Sanabria, Hannah Shirtliff, Steve Adams, Jennifer Hunt, and Brian Rosen. Hi, it's Brian. I'm in finance living in Boston. I love the unique lens you bring to my home country. And after years of being told to support you, I decided that's what I had to do. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, 
and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by our mattress sponsor, Endy. We used to have a different mattress sponsor. Now we're with a Canadian company called Endy. And by all accounts, they make an excellent mattress at an incredibly low price because, you know, they avoid all kinds of costs because it's manufactured here and there's no customs or shipping. So anyhow, they don't want me to give a personal testimonial. They won't send me a mattress because I've endorsed the old guys so often that I am thought to have low credibility. The solution to this problem is that everybody else here at Canada Land who wants one is getting an Endy mattress. And that includes our own news editor, Jonathan Goldsby, who's with me now in studio. Hi, Jonathan. Hi. That is as close to the microphone as I can get, Jonathan. This has been tearing him apart. As any good journalist, he feels that accepting free product, it's a deep existential crisis for him. And the way he's compromised with this, because he actually wants the mattress, is that we're not sending it to him. It's more about his life partner. She's the one who is getting the mattress. He won't give a testimonial. He won't even open the thing. It's in your home right now. Do I understand that correctly? It's in a box in the basement next to the cat food. <laughs> Jonathan. You know you want to open the box. You know you want to see how it just foomp comes out of the box and suddenly you've got this incredible, comfortable mattress in your home. You've already let it into your home. You're compromised already. You might as well enjoy. I wasn't at home when it came. I didn't know when it would be coming and it was either that or leave it out on the porch. We will do this as many times as is necessary. Andy's quality is second to none. Its pricing is even better. They have a smaller price tag than its competitors. You can get one for 675 to 950 Canadian dollars. You can try it out for free for 100 nights. If you do not like it, they will take it back and give it to a charity. And they are outselling the competition in this country. Go to nd.ca slash CanadaLand. Use the promo code CanadaLand and you'll get $50 off of their already terrific prices. That is E-N-D-Y dot C-A. The other sponsor for today's episode is Squarespace. Ready to start your new business? Make it stand out with Squarespace. With beautiful templates created by world-class designers, Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a new and unique website. Showcase your work blog or publish content, even sell products and services of all kinds with just a few clicks. You can customize everything from the look and feel to settings and products. It is all optimized for mobile right out of the box. You can use Squarespace's analytics to help you grow in real time. You never have to install or patch or upgrade anything ever. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you are ready to launch, use the offer code CanadaLand. You will save 10% off of your first purchase of either a website or a domain. That is squarespace.com, offer code CanadaLand. I'm Tim Bousquet. I'm the owner and publisher of the Halifax Examiner. Tim, right before the government announced their media subsidy, you emailed me this story about how the possibility of a federal government news bailout was impacting your news business. Yeah. So as you know, Jesse, I've been publishing the Halifax Examiner for about four years. I've gotten to this point now where, um, you know, the business is running well and I'm looking to expand. So that means uh, hiring a full-time reporter. 
I know a lot of people across Canada in the news business, and uh, I have three different people in mind in terms of who I might be able to hire. But the one person I want to hire now works for, I guess, what we would call a legacy publication. Sure. And uh, we expect that uh, the publication they work for is about to go out of business. So I was like, well, why don't you move to Halifax? We can um, keep you employed, doing what you like to do, doing what you do well. You know, it's a bit of a chance because you're going with this startup across the country, which uh, who knows how long I can keep this business going. But uh, I think it'll work. And they're like, yeah, I could see doing that. So if, if the publication closes down, I'll be there the proposed bailout pulls the rug out from under those plans because this person would continue in their position, obviously, if the publication stays afloat, thanks to some sort of government money flowing into it. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, people who are at legacy news organizations where the writing is on the wall, it doesn't look good, have this really tricky bargain. On the one hand, they're with an established brand. It's been there forever and maybe it'll turn it around or maybe they'll, you know, squeeze another few more years out of it and have gainful employment. But no one feels too good about it there and the morale seems to be low and people are excited about the idea of getting on board with something new. But what's riskier? Getting on board with something new that who knows in the future it might be doing better and better and better and they got in at an early stage or sticking with that thing that feels established and has that kind of credibility, you know, I guess waning credibility. Yeah, yeah, that's it exactly. I think um, the future, at least for local news, and probably investigative news too is online subscriber supported sites pay 10 bucks a month you'll get this local news the business model isn't there for advertising supported local news i mean it just doesn't work anymore that's why all these papers are closing but in order for us upstart local news sites to get a foothold that old legacy media needs to go away see that's it right there what your note to me illustrated was this uh, kind of direct example of something that I've been pointing out, which is like there's like a direct relationship between their demise and the birth of something new. And the idea that you can kind of keep them on life support without harming a burgeoning digital news scene, at least in my practical experience, seems erroneous. And, and you know, that yeah. puts us in, in a weird position. Like, are you like a vulture pecking at the corpse of the old media or are you a phoenix rising from the ashes? Well, a bit of both. But, you know, Jesse, anyone could figure this out. Uh, So I'm just going to run some numbers by you real quick. You know, to have an established news site and to run it as I do, there's a bunch of fixed costs. There's the cost for the server. There's legal fees. I got insurance. I got taxes. You know, all this sort of stuff. And that reaches, I don't know, depending on how you look at it, something like two or 3,000 subscribers to pay for that. You know, I'm not giving anything away here. Anyone can do the math on the back of a cocktail napkin. It basically translates into 600 or 700 subscribers to pay for the reporter's salary, payroll taxes, the computer for the reporter, and expenses, uh, travel, all that. Mm-hmm. Six or 700 subscribers. Um, to get six or 700 subscribers is a difficult battle when those potential subscribers are getting their stuff essentially for free on the internet from legacy publications that are losing money. Yeah. If those legacy publications disappear, then 
those six or 700 people will be fine with paying the money. You know, between you doing the Halifax Examiner and All Nova Scotia, which may be subscription-based paywall news service, so they have a very specific niche, but they are, you know, they seem to be thriving and hiring more and more reporters for the kind of news that they provide. Yep. I, you know, observe that there's a direct relationship, I think, between the market failure of the Chronicle Herald in Halifax to deliver a good newspaper yeah. and the existence of two noteworthy, thriving, small news companies. Uh, You're right. I mean, it's hard to directly say. The Chronicle Herald went on strike in January of 2017. And um, at the same time, of course, Trump was elected. So those two things kind of coincided. And it's hard to say what caused people to finally say, hey, I got to start paying for my news. Yeah. But uh, I, I saw about a uh, 100% increase in subscriptions right at that time. Wow. So, okay, you sent me that note before the actual news bailout plan was released. Since yeah. then, they've come out with it. It's pissed off Paul Godfrey. It's not enough money, he says. It's pissed off Ed Greenspawn, who was asking for $350 million a year in his report. Both of them have taken shots at as Greenspawn calls it, mon pa news organizations, which I assume that yours and mine would both be described as, you know, micro. Yeah, screw that guy. <laughs> and then, you know, Godfrey said that to give money to these startups is a waste and that uh, legacy newspapers are much better situated. Why not give money to keep these legacy newspapers running that have these track records as opposed to throwing it away on these startups? Uh, what do you, Tim, make of the actual money on the table. Yeah, we'll see, I guess. Uh, I read the budget uh, the day it came out, and I was like, what, what does that mean? Uh, going to underserved communities, I, even with all the collapse of the news industry, I wouldn't exactly call Halifax underserved. So I don't know what they mean by that. But in terms of this being a mom and pop operation, well, well, damn right. Um, we don't have the um, the resources that Saltwater, the Chronicle, Herald, or the CBC have but neither do we have the constraints on us. I mean, Jesse, you know, to toot my own horn here, we do investigative work and work critical of the governments that you just can't find in the legacy media. And it's because we're willing to go there. You know, we're not dependent upon government resources. We're not dependent upon advertising. And as the industry gets increasingly constrained, they're less and less willing to do that. I mean, for God's sake, the Chronicle Herald is publishing advertorial from the biggest polluter in the province right now. So you say with some pride, and I think it's justified, that you're not dependent on government financing. Uh, would you make yourself dependent on that if there was uh, an opportunity for you to qualify for this bailout money? And I, I take your point that, you know, there's verbiage in there where they say it's for underserved communities. Well, do I qualify there? They also say, you know, trusted yeah. news sources, like that's obviously a value judgment in somebody else's hands. Let's say you qualify under their criteria for the right kind of local news. Would you take that money? No. First of all, I, I don't want to be trusted by the government. But uh, more to the point, you know, this business model is based on a trust with readers. You know, I'm saying to people hey, give us 10 bucks a month and you'll have an independent publication that's unafraid to go wherever it needs to go. Uh, I think it takes away from that argument by saying, oh, yeah, and by the way, you know, I'm, I'm picking up 100000 a year or whatever from the government. You know, it, it just muddies the cell. So, no, I won't take the money. 
I'm Erin Miller, and I'm the founder and CEO of Discourse Media, a four-year-old media startup in Vancouver. Erin, what did you make of the budget's comments about this allocation for supporting local journalism? I think that there's very little information actually available. So um, at first, I was immediately um, opposed to it. I got really upset about it as a, an entrepreneur in this space because I assumed that it was a bailout. But then upon thinking about it a little longer, uh, I realized that it actually isn't a bailout in my view because it's just simply not enough money at all to make a real difference in this. So for me, the like remaining question is, okay, $50 million over five years, well, it's a drop in the bucket. It's not significant. However, it's a real amount of money. So is it just going to evaporate or will it be spent in a way that can actually accelerate some of the, the good work that's being done around starting new things and addressing this problem? It doesn't feel like, uh, you know, $100,000 or so to a big newspaper would make any difference in reversing their fortunes. No. But for a small company like yours, I mean, you're, you're going to great lengths to raise money in that range. So are you going to be trying to get some of this money? Um, well, I mean, the irony about all of this stuff is, and the thing that I found most frustrating is that the people who are actually really actively working on the problem of figuring out how to serve these communities that have been underserved by the media system for so long are so damn busy doing that that they're really not in you know Ottawa lobbying and don't necessarily have the time to be chasing this money. I've had the opportunity to be more involved in these conversations than most startup founders. However, like I just have my head down trying to build my company. So, I mean, I certainly don't need the money in order to succeed. We are going to knock this out of the park without any government support. However, as you've um, rightly criticized the government on, if there is subsidization money going to my competitors, then I'm obviously going to try to get a piece of that because that's what I need to do to compete. Um, and I mean, let's also just acknowledge that there is tons of ways that the government is already subsidizing all sorts of media companies, big and small, uh, in all sorts of ways. So this isn't a change in that way. And, you know, it would be easier, I think, for everyone if there was none of that going on, because ultimately that just creates a lot of cronyism. Erin, there was a lot of lip service paid throughout this whole process of consultation and coming up with this plan. A lot of lip service paid towards innovation and digital news and creating new models. But then as soon as the plan actually comes out, we've got these uh, sort of veteran newspaper people like Ed Greenspawn and Paul Godfrey really talking down to the idea that this money should go to startups or uh, Ma and Pa News and the inability for these small startups to actually fill the gap. To me, that revealed that this was a plan by newspaper people for newspaper people from the start. I'm wondering if you got the same sense. Yeah, I mean, I think the the main thing that I find frustrating is that the conversation continues to be dominated by the same very small group of people, mostly men, who have been involved in the media industry for so long and have been at the head of these organizations while they were declining and contracting. And the result of that is there's this profound lack of vision that I'm hearing from these conversations. You know, in the current interview, Ed Greenspawn, and I think he's got some things right about like his analysis of the importance of this issue. He's saying, well, who's going to pay for it? Philanthropy is not going to be enough. And the government now is not coming to the table with enough money. Like the taxpayer is really the only option. And I just think that that approach has such a limited vision. These people and Paul Godfrey's interview on, on the money on CBC was just like unbelievable. 
they cannot imagine that there is a solution outside of what they were able to pull off. And Paul Godfrey thinks because his newspapers are failing that there isn't anybody in this country who has an idea that can scale, that can have a large impact. So they look at little companies like ours and they think, you know, it's just a waste of money. There's no way that they can succeed if we have failed, if our newspapers are failing. And I think that that's just such a shame. I mean, I have a vision for discourse growing significantly, being a network of independent reporters serving communities in hundreds of communities across the country. I am raising capital by selling that idea. There are people who share that vision with me and I'm seeing these entrepreneurs in all of these different markets who have that kind of vision who are just doing this. So for me, it's pretty clear uh, what should happen with this money. It should be spent in such a way that accelerates the shift from this failing advertising-based model to models that are creating real value for people and asking them to support it. This is what's happening in markets all over the world where we're seeing crowdfunding, we're seeing jumps in subscriptions, where we're seeing membership models, we're seeing all of these models that are emerging and succeeding by going direct to consumers. And yet that's not even on Ed Greenspan's radar that people would choose to pay rather than be compelled to pay through their taxpayers' dollars. So either this money can you know, be spent on creating jobs for as long as the money exists because if you know the rumors are that it will be um, given to an organization potentially CP uh, to basically just create jobs in communities but then the second that money is gone then the jobs will disappear or it can be used to seed and nurture new organizations to figure out how to build those relationships with their audience and build those models and then potentially be sustainable in the long run. So for me, it's like you can do that or you can throw it into post media or tour star where it will literally evaporate by lunchtime. Yeah, you bring up a few good points there. One being, you know, if you listen to like Paul Godfrey and John Hundrick, who are not the youngest guys out there or necessarily the savviest digital media thinkers in the world. These guys behind things like Star Touch and Post Media's failed four post or four pillar platform, they're saying, well, we couldn't make a go of it in digital. Like we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas from these older people. You also bring up that you're hearing that uh, the Canadian press is going to be in charge of dispersing this money. And I've heard those rumors too. It suggests to me, combined with the government's language about earmarking this for underserved communities, local journalism, whose definition of local journalism? I mean, of course, we can all agree that somebody who's in city council, who's at committee reporting on what's happening is a valuable journalist, and that's local journalism. But what discourse does, what you guys do with long-term investigative reports has a local impact, but it might not fall under that designation of day in, day out, town council reporting. Are you concerned about that? Um, Well, we're actually moving into a more local model as well. So um, we are doing a local news fellowship right now where we're testing in three local markets that are underserved through the criteria of do they have local reporting capacity? So that's on Vancouver Island, uh, Northern British Columbia, and um, community in Treaty 3 area in South Saskatchewan. Um, Yeah, but I mean, I'm very, obviously all of these things, and that's why I can't really answer the question about whether or not I support this because there's just so few details, right? Like who's going to decide who is going to set the criteria. And if it's going to be the same people who have been sort of driving this conversation throughout, who have this profound lack of vision about what the future could actually look like and how this could be a really positive and exciting moment for Canadian journalism, then uh, I'm really afraid of how that's going to happen. My name is Jeremy Clausus, and I'm the editor of The Sprawl in Calgary. And what is The Sprawl, briefly? The Sprawl is a pop-up journalism venture that launched last September, and it's focused on telling Calgary stories for Calgarians. Jeremy, what do you make of the budget announcement? 
Well, there's not much there, and what is there is quite vague, so it's hard to know what to make of it. The part that actually I'm most excited about is the bit about news organizations possibly being able to get charitable status. That would open a lot of doors for small independent media startups. As an example, when I started out, I approached the Calgary Foundation. So that's an organization in Calgary that supports a lot of nonprofits uh, and whatnot. And I said, hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's what you guys are doing. There's alignment on some of this stuff. You know, there might be an opportunity where you could contribute to that. But that conversation couldn't even begin because they only dispense funds to charities. And so, you know, if I can get charitable status, then I can have those conversations. It doesn't mean the taps will turn on right away uh, because the infrastructure and the tradition isn't here in Canada for that sort of thing like it is in the U.S., but it would open doors for sure. You know, I think that the phrasing of we're asking the government for charitable status could be misinterpreted by people that you're asking the government for charity. In fact, you're just asking the government to get out of the way and let other people give you money if they choose to. Exactly. And I'm far more interested in that than this business of the government dispensing funds uh, to news organizations. I think the charitable thing is way more powerful and it'll take some time, you know, help foundations understand it, help the public understand it. And there would be an adjustment period for sure. But in the long run, that can do a lot more than, you know, 10 million a year over five years, I think. Paul Godfrey says that that won't work, that if you give people a choice between, you know, giving money to uh, post media and giving money to sick kids, they'll choose sick kids. What do you make of that criticism? Well, that's absolutely true. And so would I. I'd give it to sick kids. Like, don't give anything to post media. (laughs) Absolutely not. Uh, But if you are a small outlet that has started to serve your community and you've built relationships and trust in your community, as opposed to post media, which has relentlessly devalued local journalism in the communities they serve, then yeah, people will stand up to support independent journalism. At this point, giving support to post media is just laughable. So you and I both know that people will give money for journalism because we both are making a go of it on Patreon, but you can't offer people any kind of tax break on their donations and neither can I because of this charitable um, journalism prohibition. Uh, one thing I noticed though is that they have some qualifying verbiage mm-hmm. that they're looking at making charitable status possible for trusted uh, yeah, and this is where it gets iffy, right? Because who is quote-unquote trusted and who decides that? It looks like they're trying to put it arm's length in some way. And the other thing that's weird is the use of newspapers throughout this. They're talking about newspapers. I don't understand this constant fetish with the newspaper. Like, look at the world we live in. I mean, I get it. I get the New York Times on Sunday. I love to smell the newsprint and all that stuff. But like, we got to get away from this newspaper thing. Jeremy, it's not a lot of money, 10 million bucks a year. You know, as that gets chopped up and dispersed around the country, let's say 500,000 of that is spent in Calgary. First question, are you going to try to get some of it? And second, if you don't, but the other guy does, how does that affect you? Yeah, I mean, when there's money on the table... I don't have much choice but to try and get it, I think, Um, because at this point, I'm still not financially sustainable. Um, So yeah, I would apply. Now, as for the second question, let's say the rules are such that Post Media and Metro are eligible for these funds, and the sprawl is not due to its small size. (laughs) 
that's where I'd really take umbrage because, you know, I'm making do with the tools that are available and there's not much in a devastated landscape like this. So I think, I think they've got to be looking at, okay, how do we support people who are actually innovating and organizations that are actually doing something new? I'm James Baxter. I'm the founding editor of iPolitics, and I spend my days and nights chasing politicians all over Ottawa. James, you were a part of the consultation on this, and you were a voice of protest. You said, I'm not putting my hand out for a handout. I'm putting my hand up to say, stop, don't bail out the news industry. What do you make of the plan that came down from Ottawa? Well, from my standpoint, I think they did the first part. They listened to me saying, uh, don't bail out the uh, the traditional media. $10 million uh, a year for five years is, is uh, you know, bows and arrows against the lightning. It's not going to make a difference uh, to, to very much. The one thing they didn't do, you know, there was no sign of it anywhere in the budget, was uh, rein in the CBC. And, of course, that was the second half of my presentation to the, the Heritage Committee, which was saying, you know, set the rules, set the constraints for the CBC, and then the rest of us can adjust our business plans accordingly. But as it stands right now, anytime you guys or we find a, a market niche, they come in and scoop it up. That's a big glaring omission, I thought. Does this mean that that door is closed or might they be revisiting the CBC's mandate? I mean, there were so many proposals from my pressure to disallow advertising on CBC's online platforms uh, and the Shattered Mirror was uh, suggesting that perhaps CBC take on a collaborative model. There's been talk of them operating as sort of a free wire service to small news companies or, or to anybody, you know, to build on their journalism, basically to do something about the fact of why do we have a public broadcaster that actually sees itself as a competitor trying to snuff out competition? That seems like not what you want when you're trying to build a healthy news ecosystem. Is that done? Have they just closed the door on that? I don't know if they have. I've certainly had no indication that they picked up that ball. They were not that interested in that the couple of the MPs asked some, some questions with regard to the CBC. But it's one of those uh, sacred cows in this country that people don't really want to push on if they don't fully understand what they're getting into. And I think that's the problem. And ultimately, any solution any government comes up with is going to have to involve the CBC. It doesn't help that the CBC is going through a complete management overhaul at this point. And so it's very hard, I think, for the government to begin the process of a mandate review for the CBC because it doesn't really have a president. It doesn't have a, a full complement on the board. And really, given the way the media constellations in the rest of the world are changing around, it's hard to imagine what the CBC is going to look like in you know, five years, perhaps even three years. So all of that is coming to play at the same time as newspapers are going out of business. As this $10 million a year rolls out across the country, I don't think any news organization can expect more than like $100,000 here and there, which will not make a big difference to the downward spiral that the big newspapers are facing. But it could make a big difference for a business like yours. But you cover the federal government, which puts you in a bit of a bind. Are you going to be trying to get your hands on any of this money? No, I don't think so. Uh, for a variety of reasons, I think the hurdles will be very high. I also don't think uh, the word they used is uh, that it, it would be set aside for underserved communities. And uh, I'm not sure coverage of politics at the federal and provincial level is currently in their minds underserved. I think they're thinking more 
like Guelph that have lost their newspapers or where you have things like the Metro News, local weeklies and dailies to areas like Aurelia, Barrie. So I would imagine I would expend a lot of effort to try and get a, a fairly small piece of a pie. And I guess if you are going to take whatever credibility hit comes with taking government money, you wanted to at least be worth it. I mean, you know, <laughs> that is true. And I and I do struggle with that. I mean, I, I said it uh, at the budget when I was asked about this. You know, it's enough to get you pregnant, but not enough to raise the child. And I think that's going to be the problem. A lot of these companies are going to take a little bit of government money, and they're going to feel a little bit, and you know indebted towards their MP. And and I just think it's more complicated than it's going to be worth because there are so many other ways that they could have approached this. Uh, But frankly, I don't think they want to. I think governments by nature quite like having a direct pipeline to the people and the less interference, uh, the more they can monopolize that direct link to the people. I think they're quite happy. My name is Maureen Gugu, and I am the editor-owner of Gugu Guest News, an Indigenous news site that covers Indigenous issues in Atlantic Canada. Maureen, what did you make of the announcement in the budget? Um, well, any money that's given to you know news sites like myself, I'm, I'm encouraged by it. Um, having been a former newspaper reporter, former broadcast reporter, now doing my own thing, I actually, <laughs> I actually look forward and I welcome that kind of money to, to get my own business up and running. So you are planning to apply to see if you can get some of that? Yeah, well, it's, it's not, I mean, it's not an odd thing for the federal government to support Indigenous journalism. It used to do that in the, the 70s and the 80s. Out here in the Atlantic, um, there was a newspaper called the Micmac News, and it received like about $350,000 a year from the federal government to publish every month. And that program actually was slashed in 1991 by the conservative government. So since then, at least out here in the Atlantic, there has been no independent Indigenous media outlet covering Indigenous news on a full-time basis. So for me, having the federal government support that kind of journalism coming back in to do that to me is encouraging because since 1991, there really hasn't been that type of consistent coverage. Now, none of this money is earmarked for Indigenous news coverage. You're going to have to basically make your case along with everybody else. And there seems to be criteria about, is it local? Well, your site seems to certainly apply, though they seem to be looking at local. uh, They use examples of like covering town council, which seems like there's an obvious corollary. You do a lot of coverage of Indigenous governance. So you know, you would probably meet that criteria. Uh, trusted. I don't know if that's a way of separating new players from old players. So even if you could get it, you're fighting with everybody else. There was supposed to be, in the proposal anyhow, there was a call for there to be a huge new pot of money for Indigenous news that APTN was going to administer. And there's no mention of that in the actual budget. And, and quite frankly, you know, in that earlier report where they did were calling for a huge funding and, and have APTN manage it. I wasn't a big fan of that. Why? (laughs) Because, I mean, it's to say that APTN is the only player in town who can fund journalism across this country. That's not true. I used to be the Halifax correspondent slash video journalist for APTN National News. And I did cover news in this region for the network, but it was for a national audience. 
my website, I mean, one of the reasons why I left APTN, it was to actually start my own website. I realized that there was a lot more news stories happening in this region. And I found myself constantly having to pick and choose which ones I should cover, which meant there was a whole bunch of other news stories that weren't just getting covered because they didn't meet that national appeal. And, and I'm, I'm just quite frankly saying that, you know, that when you have that kind of fun and you have APTN administering it, you're making them sort of the overlords of Indigenous news in this country. And for me, wanting to start my own news website and to maintain that independence, which is really important to me, I was not a big fan of that idea at all. So with independence in mind, you have been making a go of it and uh, you're doing it. Uh, Quest is has been an entity that's been reporting on Indigenous news uh, in Atlantic Canada for a while now. Are you concerned about becoming dependent on the federal government, whereas up till now you've been about as independent as you can get? Yeah, independent as I can get, but I can tell you, I mean, I find myself really lucky and fortunate when my, my husband and partner... We can pay the bills each month. I mean, I, the fact that we've been able to do that is really a miracle. To have some kind of money to take the website to the next level, you know, I, I have to admit, I do need assistance for that. But, you know, like any other <laughs> Indigenous organization, you know, who depends on government funding, the goal is to, is to use the money to help you reach another level, then hopefully you can gain independence and not rely on that anymore. Yeah. And I mean, at a certain point, you just are going to try to find a budget anywhere you can get it, right? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you right now. I mean, I've had to make editorial decisions that are really tough. Like, you know, when the missing and murdered National Inquiry came to the Atlantic in the fall, I was able to cover the three days of hearings in member two simply because I had a friend who lived in Sydney who let us stay with her while I was able to cover it. And I can tell you right now, the hearings that are being held in Happy Valley Goose Bay next week, we're not going to be there because we have no travel budget to get to Happy Valley Goose Bay to cover those hearings. So I've had to make really tough decisions. And the only way I can get out there and do the coverage that I really want to do in this region, I need money. Journalism costs money. So I need to find a way to, to get out there to all of these other remote communities in this region so I can do the type of reporting that I've always wanted to do. Maureen, Ed Greenspan, he has said that uh, the money that's come is so small that, you know, it's just going to be funding some ma and pa operations and it's not going to be able to fill the gap. And it seems like you run literally like a ma and pa operation. <laughs> yes, I do. Paul Godfrey called it a waste to give this money to startups like yours as opposed to the legacy newspapers. I would not say that it's a waste because look at you know, the Saltwire Network owns the newspapers out in this region. Do they actually have a reporter that covers the Indigenous beat in any of these regions? Are they covering Indigenous news on a full-time basis? Is the Telegraph Journal covering Indigenous news on a full-time basis? Do they have a beat reporter? My guess is no, they don't. You know, they don't have somebody dedicated to cover these stories. They have other reporters trying to get those kind of issues incorporated into their beats, which is fine, but they don't have somebody dedicated there to cover these issues. So as long as they don't have anybody on staff, then my news website becomes even more relevant. Right now, my only competition is APTN when it comes to covering stories in this region. I mean, the newspaper isn't my competition. I mean, they're not covering those stories. So I don't see 
that as being a total waste to support independent indigenous journalism in this region. And I guess if they had gone and given APTN millions and millions of dollars to control, they would essentially be giving your competitor that huge war chest to compete with you in your two-person operation. Exactly. I mean, I would be competing with APTN for the same stories, yet I would be relying on them to get the money to help me cover those stories. Who is to say that they would be fair in, in giving that out? I don't know. You know, I'm not sure what the criteria is. That's why I was never a fan of that when, you know, Mr. Greenspawn came out with that report. And I can understand people's concerns about this not being enough and that it's not the bailout they were looking for. But, you know, in the past, like, 10 to 11 years that I've been sort of pursuing this, you know, running my own digital news website, this is where news is going. That is your Canada Land for today. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. This week, we have a new episode of Oppo coming out on Tuesday. There's a new episode of The Imposter you should check out. You may remember Aaliyah interviewed Lito Pimienta before she blew up and won the Polaris, before she had some big controversies in the news. And now they get together again to talk about all of that and a lot more. Have a listen. If you like us on Facebook, our news stories will appear in your news feed. Our website is canadalandshow.com. You can read them there as well. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. This episode is produced by Ali Graham. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.